Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis, reporting to listeners each week from the fabulous Florida Keys. This podcast is centered around the great outdoors and includes topics on fishing, boating, beaching, bicycling, hiking, camping, and most anything else that's related to spending time outside of that good old house or that good old office. So kick back for the next 40 minutes or so and get a taste of my Florida. This week's episode is number 80, Short Stories. But first, some announcements. Hey now, buy my books. I still have some copies on hand that you can order. They're signed. While cleaning out the garage, I discovered a few signed copies in a box I'd actually forgotten about. (laughs) All three books. Get them while you can. I was actually out of one of them, but now I've got three of them again, so go for it. Uh, Go online to catchyoutdoors.com, get you a copy or two. You can also go online to Amazon Kindle. Have remember, those are not signed. And right now, I've got a couple of the copies slightly discounted on the uh, website, so be sure to check out catchyoutdoors.com. Fishing report. Yes, yes, fishing reports. You know, the wind died. (laughs) It makes a huge difference. And, you know, I'd rather be in the boat than be on shore, that's for sure. Uh, Let's see, took the boat offshore this past Wednesday. Uh, It was beautiful out there. Calm Atlantic waters reminded me of what it's going to be like when summertime finally arrives. I am so tired of the wind, as if you didn't know that already. Uh, I hit a few spots. First on the patch reefs at about 12 feet of water. Got a few yellowtail, but all were too short to keep. But I found the yellowtail, so I kind of know where they might might be. Uh, I didn't have chum to work with this time. I kind of went out there on a whim. This was one of those things where I was going to go in the back. The wind was calm. I thought, you know, I'm going to run out into the Atlantic and see what's going on. And lo and behold, it was like a what they call a mill pond. It was just as calm as it could be. Um, I'll make sure to bring it with me next time. Uh, to get those bigger ones up off the bottom. Uh, then I moved out to a spot in about 35 feet of water near the edge. Uh, there's three parts to our our offshore fishing here in Key Largo, all up and down the Keys, but in Key Largo as well. Um, you got nearshore fishing. That's basically, you know, you go out to the Atlantic and immediately the water's 10 to 12 feet deep or so. And then you head a little further out, you hit the patch reefs, and there are a gazillion patch reefs. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Key Largo especially, just tons of them. And these reefs are really interesting. They're anywhere from a foot deep, two feet deep, down to eh, maybe 20 at the most. I mean, yeah, maybe. Most are in the 12 to 13 feet range. So what you've got is a rocky bottom where you have small reef structure, coral, things like that. And then you have these holes, these great big blonde sand holes in them, which are very easy to see because the water is crystal clear. And um, so you set up on those. I, I don't anchor unless it's sand. And and now that I've got this new trolling motor, uh, for me new, it's been around for a while, the spot lock on it, which is an anchoring GPS system. You basically you pull up where you want to fish. You have the trolling motor in the water. You hit one button on it, and it keeps you in that position quietly, too, as long as the wind's not howling. You know, it works really, really well. I was Actually, I was pleased as punch with it. I've got an anchor on the boat. I don't think it's going to get used all that much thanks to the spot lock. Um, 
And then you go a little deeper. You hit a thing called the edge. And the edge is where the water starts to fall away rapidly. So you've got this consistent depth in the teens, maybe close to 20. And then all of a sudden, it's 27, 30, 60, 90, 100. That's the edge. And then from there on out, 1,000. <laughs> and the edge is fun to fish, too. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I went out and looked at it. It's where the water turns purple, like that purpley blue color. It goes from green. It's Oh, my gosh, it's gorgeous out there. Uh, and that's what I refer to as the shelf. Um, so deep sea shelf. So, so you got those three parts. You got the, the, the patch reef, the edge, and the deep sea. I hit a spot I'm going to talk about as my first short story today, so I'll save that. But I caught a mess of fish, at least, at least 30 to 40 while using shrimp on a circle hook, weighted with a half-ounce egg sinker. Um, again, I wasn't properly prepared for this, but you know, I got the job done. I mean, I caught grunts like you would. The, the grunts, the oceanside grunts, are they're big. Um, what a, a lot of what I'll call mystery fish. <laughs> hey, some of the stuff I haven't seen before. Let's put it that way. They're very colorful and very beautiful, and I have to go look them all up. Uh, caught a huge wrasse. There was some other things, you know, the 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 sergeant majors stuff like that that comes off the bottom that looked like um, tropical fish in an aquarium. Um, after all the years I spent charter fishing off the west coast of Florida, it's very very cool to reel up fish that I've never seen before. Um, like I tell people, fishing is always a learning experience. You pretty much discover something new every time you go out there, no matter no matter how how much you've you know you've spent fishing in the past. And I certainly learned a bunch on that day, so it was fun. Um, earlier than that, back on Sunday, I guess it was, Janelle and I fished together, and I included that in the last podcast. So we did get out there twice. And then this week, we've got wind. Um, I'm recording this on Saturday. We've got wind today. Hope it's going to let down a little bit tomorrow. We might be able to get out in the morning tomorrow. We'll, we'll just have to see how that goes. We're still in those in those spring winds, as I call them. And once we get into April, uh, water temperatures will start to rise rapidly. As a matter of fact, the Atlantic was right at 80 degrees when I fished the yeah, other day. It's been in the 70s all winter. It was right at 80 on my uh, depth finder. So uh, we're getting there. <laughs> it's, it'll change. Don't worry. Um, okay, so short stories, episode 80. Uh, I've been fishing for over 60 years. Yep, that surprises me too. <laughs> it's weird to be an old person, as I like to tell folks. Um, but so be it. Uh, when it comes to fishing, however, it's a good thing. You know why? I know things. First story happened this past November when my good friend Gary and his wife Cindy and his sister Rita came down to visit from Kentucky to check out our new digs in uh, Key Largo. Weather was decent, but we did have to deal with a bit of wind. Toward the end of their stay, the girls decided to do a little pool time and some shopping, and Gary and I decided to rent a center console fishing boat. This was pre-my boat ownership. Um, out of Pennycamp uh, State Park, right down the road from me. Pennycamp's got a pretty good setup over there. They've got a huge kayak rental. They've got kayak tours. They've got offshore reef uh, diving snorkeling tours. They've got, uh, then they've got the boats. They've got a whole slew of rental boats. And the boats are nice. They're 21 foot uh, releases um, with a 150 on the back. Uh, the only thing about they are, these boats tend to be what people will take out there and tie up to one of the reef balls, the anchor balls, and then snorkel. 
Um, and that's actually what I had planned on doing at one time, just never got around to it. But with Gary, it was like, we both like to fish. So I thought, we'll, we'll, we'll try this. The only drawback is this boat has absolutely no electronics on it. Um, none. It has a radio. <laughs> that's it. So you're kind of on your own and you got to really trust the chart that they drop in your lap. Now, fortunately, I had an app on my phone uh, made by Navionics. It's called Navionics Boating. And those of you that boat a lot, if you if you're, I used it on the kayak. That's really what I got it for. But if you're boating, kayaking, or you're going to rent a boat that doesn't have electronics on it, or you just, I, I sit at home sometimes and just look at it and plot where I'm going to go. It's fantastic. It's a great program. Works works good, cheap. I forget what the annual is on it, but you can get it out of the app store. But anyway, it's called Navionics Boating. And I had that with me, of course, on the phone. So I had been using it to to kayak in the backcountry and, and to you know, navigate the small creeks in Pinnacamp because, my gosh, you, you have to see the structure of Pinnacamp. You can get lost in there pretty easy. Um, so when we got out in the boat, I said, look, I'm gonna, what we're going to do is I, we're, I'm just going to go right to the edge. I'm going to go right to where the patch reefs meet the edge, and I'm going to try out there. I, I know down in Isla Mirada um, that fish are almost always in that 27 to 30-foot range, and they'll probably be the same way here. So <clears throat> I, I got the map out. By the way, I have never, ever fished Key Largo waters before offshore ever. So this is like the great, I'm glad Gary trusted me. This is like the grand experiment. Um, so I, I went out to an area according to my chart where it said it was about 30 feet deep. I, I was looking for that drop, you know, between 20 to maybe 35. And we went to there, um, sand bottom, you could see sand bottom. So we set an anchor and we, um, started fishing out there. Um, and it was, it was, I mean, it was just absolutely wild. Um, we caught everything. The first three fish, um, let's see, I'm trying to, the first three fish we caught were hogfish. Now, listen, catching hogfish on hook and line is almost non existent. Uh, I have personally never hooked one until that day. Uh, they were all short, unfortunately, but it was just, I mean, it was like, wow, we found the spot. I mean, it, it was some sort of a miracle, which is why I tell it as a story. Um, a handheld app, no depth finder, no, nothing reading the bottom either. So I'm just basically guessing. And we, we put the hook down in that spot, and by golly, it had hogfish on it. Right after that, we reeled up all kinds of stuff. We had a mutton snapper. We had mangrove snapper. We had triggerfish, grouper. Um, I, it was crazy, absolutely crazy. And it was like one after the other until it finally stopped. And when it stopped, we simply picked up the anchor and moved over a little bit. And I mean a little bit, maybe, I don't know, 20 yards, 25 yards into what would be deeper water. I knew by moving out, it had to be a little bit deeper. And then we got on the grunt bike <laughs> like nobody's business. So at that point, I marked... Now, not it didn't happen then. Actually, when I got home, I had marked, uh, got the got that boat app out, and the Navionics app on my phone, and I went ahead and marked the spot where we had stopped. You could tell where it was. You could see the you could see the track out to it. And you could see where I'd returned. So I just went to the elbow of the return and just marked it. So lo and behold, I go and get a boat. Um, just not long ago, a month and a half ago, I get a boat, an 18-foot skiff. I could not make it out there because of the wind until Wednesday. And uh, so I headed out, and I stopped at a patch reef and got some really decent yellowtail, but nothing big enough to keep. 
And so I thought, I looked at, at, at my, you know, my, my fancy dancy new depth finder on there, uh, my Simrad. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to put Gary's number in there. So I did. I put Gary's lat long number in there and headed over to it. It was only about three miles from where I was sitting. So I took off for that. Uh, got on the spot lock, uh, locked us in place, dropped the hook, and uh, here we go again. No muttons. No, one mutt. No uh, hogfish. <laughs> Sorry. It was crazy. I Again, it was just like it was before on this one spot, and I am so glad I marked it down because I know I was close to where we were, but it wasn't the exact place because we had moved, and I didn't, you know, all I had was that track left over, so I'm going to go investigate that a little more closely. But I, I think... The, the whole thing about this was I was patting myself on the back like crazy. Why? Well, guesswork. I mean, I don't know squat about the water off this coast. I don't. I just knew what I knew about Ala Mirada and what I'd done in Ala Mirada, And I transferred it to here in my brain saying this is probably working Key Largo, but I had no idea. I think, I think what amazed me the most, it shocked Gary, <laughs> was the depth. You know, when I got out there, check this out. When I got out there, my Simrad said it was 31 to 37 feet. So I was exactly where I hoped to be and really didn't know other than the, the chart was correct from Navionics. That's the only thing I can say. Um, water temperature was cooler than it was when we were there. So I suspect that's why I didn't find some of the fish that we found. There were no grouper. Um, I didn't catch the hogfish, but I got a lot, outrageous mix, 30 to 40 fish, easily 30 to 40 fish. Just, it was pretty constant for about three hours of fishing until I got, okay, it's time to go back. The breeze started to come up. The, the afternoon wind was supposed to hit. And it was around noon when I said to myself, all right, you need to get this little 18 foot boat off the Atlantic Ocean and get back in the back. So I did. But I want to thank Navionics for a hell of an app. I can't wait to go back out there and do some more exploring. Go away, wind. The little toony story, spelled T-U-N-N-Y. Little toony story. This story is from many, many years ago. Uh, guessing the late nineties. Uh, it was before my dad passed away. He was only sixty-nine years old. What I am now. And it makes me realize how much more life we really do have ahead of us at this age, if it's possible to live longer, of course. I miss my dad. Um, he's one of the main reasons I, I love to go fishing. And yeah, I mean, he started it. He took me to this little, me and my little brother, to this uh, uh, pier. It used to be a bridge out of Clearwater, the old bridge. They, they uh, put a new bridge up and whacked the old bridge off and left a piece out there for people to fish off of. And that was my first fishing. I was about five, six years old. So, you know, but if you're a dad or a mom out there, take your kids fishing. It's, it's certainly worth it in the long run. Um, after my mom and dad moved to Sanibel Island, um, they bought a boat. Uh, he bought an Aquasport. I think it was a 225 Explorer model. I had to look on the web when I wrote this down for this podcast, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. That's um, basically it's a covered forward boat. In other words, it's, it's a cuddy cabin, I guess you would call it. A uh, nice open stern for fishing off of, but it had a place to hide from the weather with a V-berth down below. And it's only 22 feet long. So, I mean, it was, you know, it's not a really long boat, but it was chunky. It was, you know, made for fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, which is what he liked to do. 
Um, but anyway, Ford V-Birth, a cabin, single engine. I have no idea what was on it. It's probably a 200, 225, something like that back in those days. Um, on a summer fishing trip with my dad uh, and my brother, we, 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 he took us out into the Gulf. And mostly, this was not a deep sea trip. This was not running way out in the Gulf of Mexico, which, by the way, you got to go miles and miles and miles to technically fish anything deeper than 40, 50 feet of water. Um, this was this was a, a schooling trip, as I like I call it, for schooling fish, Spanish mackerel. Uh, we all got a kick out of this, and I've always enjoyed fishing for mackerel. I, I like it, um, especially in there's certain summer months when the tides are running good, the weather's nice. Uh, typically in the morning after you've had the afternoon thunderstorms all from the night before into the night, and then things clear up in the morning. You've still got these heavy clouds out in the Gulf, and uh, it looks like it's going to rain on you, but it doesn't. Um, beautiful sunrise, and the water's fairly calm. Uh, so what happens is the as the tide starts to move, these mackerel come in and chase bait on the tide. And it doesn't matter, in my opinion, if it's inbound or outbound. makes no difference as long as the water's moving. Well, we got out there, and there were mackerel everywhere and I remember it as being just one of those days when you you know you're just having a blast because you're 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 doing what you love and um, we were doing uh, live shrimp uh, we were also using sabiki rigs to pull up little baits things like that and using artificials um, and my brother Pete and I both love artificials dad dad was pretty much a bait fisherman but we love throwing artificials so um, we're out there in the middle of it, and all of a sudden, out of, out of nowhere, and this is how it happens with this stuff, the little toonies show up. And if you're not familiar with little toonies, also known as, some people call them bonitos, uh, but they're a tuna. They're a small tuna. They'll grow, I've, I've caught them up to 12 pounds, which is pretty good. Normally, 8 to 10 pounds is what you'll see in the Gulf. They pull like crazy. They're not terribly edible. There are some folks that'll eat them. Um, I'll give you a tip. They're edible if you don't cut the meat above the midline of the fish. If you run a knife down the midline to the belly, that meat's not bad. I mean, I've had it. It's it's a cooked fresh. It's fine. Um, but most people <laughs> keep a little tuna and make it bait. They'll cut it because it's bloody, and then they'll put it right back in the water and hope to get a nice big shark or something exciting off the bottom. So anyway, the little tuna came around, and these are these are like crasher marauders. There's no other way to put it. These fish attack anything and everything around them. The trick is getting on them because they move so fast. So you you know you, you can't run up on them. You can't you can't really run and gun them. If you run and gun, what that means is when you're in a boat and you see fish busting out in the distance and you run toward it. If you run up on them, you drive the bait down. And if you drive the bait down, you drive the fish down, and there's nothing to cast to. So it's it's a pretty simple process. You got to sneak up or get lucky. And in this case, we got lucky. They popped up all around us. Out of excitement, my brother turned around and grabbed the first rod he could put his hand on, and he threw an artificial out at these fish. Well, the first rod he grabbed was about six feet long and lightweight. We were using it for bait, <laughs> using it to catch bait. <laughs> it had, we know, I know all the details because we had to write it down to present this to a magazine. It had a six pound uh, monofilament on it, and it had a pink loveler tied to the end of it, and there was no leader. We, we didn't use leader when we we're going for bait. We would just take a real lightweight mono fishing line, put a leveler or some other wiggly worm on the end, and then work to get pinfish and stuff to bite it. And it, it worked great for that. Well, that's what he grabbed. And he threw it out there. 
And as he started to reel, he even said out loud, oh boy, I don't think I should have done this. And about that time, this little toonie grabbed that thing and took off. Well, it was start the motor time because not only was the rod small, the reel was small and the amount of mono was small. So dad had the wherewithal to get that boat started and head in the direction of the fish. The fish was out, for a while outran the boat. You could hear the drag scream. And if you've ever caught a little tuna, you know what I'm talking about. These things can just smoke line off of, off of a reel. So we finally got up close enough to it where Peter, he almost, my, my brother, Peter almost ran out of, um, line. I mean, he was, he was, he was, I don't know. He doesn't ever really panic. He's a pilot. <laughs> never really ever seen him panic. He's pretty level-headed, but he was like, uh, 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 this is bad. This is bad. That kind of conversation. So we finally got up to the tuny to where he could get some line back. Uh, he said he could still see the spool through the line, but he had line back. <laughs> so he kept cranking. We kept moving. And then eventually you have to stop. You have got to slow down. You're not going to fight the fish and you're not going to wear it out unless you can get it on the reel. You know, just chasing one doesn't help. So that's what we did. We finally got up to it. He got enough line on the reel to where he could actually start fighting it. Eventually, my dad was able to position the boat in a position that, you know, it was, it was, he, the fight was on basically. Now, this is a tricky boat to fight a fish out of. I got to tell you this right now. It's not a walk around. You don't walk around a center console. There is no way to go up front unless you tiptoe on the outside of the boat, which is not the safest thing in the world to do. So he pretty much had to stern fish this thing and try to keep it off stern. And, uh, I, I piloted the boat for a little bit. Dad did it for a little bit, but we managed to get it in a position to where we got this, this, thing you know closest to us long story short no it wasn't short <laughs> well it is a short story uh we got the fish boat side got it netted um turned out it weighed 10 pounds on six pound test um on his tiny little rod this tiny little reel i gotta i gotta be honest with my i've watched my brother fight fish and he's very very good at it and he pulled it off so uh here's the fun part we uh we took a photo of pete with his fish and then we sent it to Florida Sportsman Magazine. Back in the day, I think still they do this today. Yeah, they do. But they, it's not quite as elaborate as it was. They had a thing called, they have a section in there called the Action Spotter. And that's divided up all around Florida. So everything from the Keys all the way north of the Panhandle and across to Jacksonville, they have it divided into sections for fishing reports. And so the, the Action Spotter was in there. And they would request pictures. You know, if you catch, you catch something outstanding and weird or unusual or big, send it. So we sent that picture in, and by golly, they they printed it. So made my brother famous. He he caught a ten pound tuny on light, light, light tackle. There you go. And somewhere around here, I've got that magazine. I'm gonna have to find it. A walk in the woods is short story part three. Um, Janelle and I have become fans of hiking. Uh, especially in the Florida Keys. Well, we've always been fans of hiking. We've hiked everywhere we've been. Uh, some of the best stuff I did was up in Georgia, in the mountains, North Carolina mountains. You know, we've done quite a bit of stuff together where we've gone walking and hiking around over in, on the west coast of Florida. If you just travel in off the coast just a little ways on the other side of 75, you'll find all kinds of uh, really nice outdoor nature type walks through some very pristine and protected areas. Uh, we've done down in the glades. We've done swamp walks. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Walk in the swamp where the alligators and the snakes are. Uh, it, 
it still makes my palms sweat <laughs> thinking about it. But I have to admit, I had a good time. So we enjoy, we enjoy this hiking thing. When we first moved in here to Key Largo, the very first thing we did was check out, you know, water, where to go, check out watering holes. Yes, that you know, you got to have a cold beer or a pina colada down here. Which one's the best, and how close is it, and the best restaurants. And then we started working on parks. Of course, Penny Camp is right down the road from us, so that was a natural. But the one that caught Jonelle's eye first, and she mentioned to me, was the Dagny Johnson Key Largo Hammock Botanical State Park. (laughs) That's a mouthful. We're going to give it to you one more time. Dagny Johnson Key Largo Hammock Botanical State Park. It's um, rustic. It's when they, whenever they say like a botanical state park, that means it's not a facility place. It has a restroom, but that's it. And there's a gate, but you don't pay other than by, you know, uh, honor system. So you have a little, little thing you fill out, a little envelope and you drop your money in. And by all means, please do that. Um, uh, or get an annual pass like we have, and then it makes it easy to hit all these places up. So, um, so she she really wanted to do this, and eventually we made it down there, and we and we hiked this thing, and it was it was amazing. I have to, it was really really great. It's huge. Uh, what this park is is an old, um, it's basically an old uh, uh, development that was supposed to be this giant like I mentioned this in another podcast. But I talked about this park. Um, it was going to be a great big uh, Mediterranean type, looking like Italy kind of thing. It was, and it got squashed. Well, it didn't get squashed. It ran. They ran out of money, and then it, it turns out the people weren't the least bit interested in living in that section of Key Largo. They wanted to be down on the water side, and that usually happens when you go to an island. They didn't want to be up there in the woods, and they didn't. And they it did not have good access to water where they were either. Um, so it died. They also found a critter in there that that kept it from going. It's called the uh, Key Largo Wood Rat, which is extremely rare. And by the way, they come to our feeders at night. If I leave it out and forget to bring the feeder in, the little wood rats will show up. And by the way, that's not a bad rat. It's a good rat. Okay, it's cute. It's as cute as rats can be. (laughs) It's not like a garbage rat, okay? So, um, So we did that, and we had a lot of fun. Now, that park runs miles and miles up this southeastern side of Highway 905. That's known as Card Sound Road. So when you're leaving Key Largo, you have two options. Or when you're coming down, too. You can either go up the 18-mile stretch, depending on traffic and how it looks, and are there any warnings about wrecks on the 18-mile stretch, which is notorious for people crashing. Or you can go the back way, which is Card Sound Road. It's a two-lane highway. It keeps going straight up. Key Largo and eventually turns left, becomes the Card Sound Road. You go over the Card Sound Bridge and eventually it'll, it meets back in Florida City up where uh, the traffic lights and all the gas stations are. And so there is a entrance to a northern part of this same park a little further up the road. And Janelle started bugging me about it. And I wasn't terribly interested. I'll be honest with you. It just, I pulled it up on a map. I started looking at it and it was just, it was just, it wasn't, I don't know. It's some, it, okay. It's an old road. It's, it's old 905 highway that's been closed. Okay. So they, nobody's allowed on the road anymore. That makes it kind of like into the world looking, which is kind of cool. But um, anyway, she was like, I really want to go up there. I want to check this thing out. And I kept pushing back. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go up there. It's, it's, uh, it's the old road and it runs into the, into, uh, ocean reef club 
the haven for the very wealthy. They don't allow you to even go past their gate up there unless you live there. I'm not going to say snooty, but it feels that way sometimes. You're like, come on, man. You know, we can come in and just kind of look, can't we? No, you can't. You have to be a member. And it's big. So that's the whole north end of, of Key Largo, basically, is this, is this Ocean Reef Club. And I just wasn't interested. The road, the road has been purposely dead-ended and deserted because of that. And then I started hearing about a thing called the Crossroads. Now, this is, this is even weird. I, I, I did a little research, and I'm like, hmm, this is... This is maybe, yeah, I know. She wasn't twisting the arm so much as it was my curiosity got me. And I decided that Ocean Reef's, you know, private special forces a lot elite uh, SWAT team wasn't going to come and get me for being on the, anywhere near their property. <laughs> so I said, look, I'll, I'll do it if, you, if, we can use, um, if we can use bicycles. Ma- mainly because it's just this long straight road. But the crossroad thing was starting to interest me. And I said, all right, let's, let's, go, let's go do it. So we did. We headed out. We put the bikes on the back of the Jeep. We drove all the way up 905, way past the main entrance to Dagny, and went up to the secondary entrance, which is almost at the turnoff where you head across the Cardstown Bridge. Um, so what was interesting is this, is this road had been blocked for traffic. Okay, So basically, you're riding in woods on an old road that you can barely see the stripe in the middle. Um, and you eventually come to this crossroad. And the crossroad is uh, the old, when you came across Card Sound, you used to be able just to go straight. If, you, if any of you that have been on Card Sound Road, if you come into Key Largo on that northern, northern end after somebody's had a wreck on the 18-mile stretch, you come down the road, you run into a, a three-way stop. And, you know, you're looking basically due, uh, what would that be, due east, I guess. And then the north turn left, you go to Ocean Reach. Ocean Reef Club, turn right, and you come down to Key Largo proper, down to where we live. And um, so there used to be a crossroad there, and you can see it. You know, it's on the other, you're like, oh, wow, it's weird. Look at that. There's a piece of road there, but it's like gone. You know, it just dead ends into solid woods. So we were on the other end of that. When we got to the four away, the crossroads, as they call it, we turned left. And we headed in that direction toward the highway and that old crossroads. And not long after we turned left, the road completely stops and disappears. I mean, the asphalt is gone. It's like uh, there's a drop off. You, you can't go any further. There's a three foot drop to water. And I was absolutely blown away by this. Now, there's, there's numbers I can rattle off, but I'm not going to the crossroads. They used to be old 905 north and south. It's where it meets 905A. So 905A was this little crossroad piece is what this was. And um, yeah, I did more investigating after I got home. That's how I found that out. But anyway, so this thing just, it just, it just stopped. However, on maps, <laughs> it shows that it connects. Ah, yeah. No, it doesn't. It actually becomes a lake. It becomes Crocodile Lake. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> but the view is fantastic. Basically, when you get to the end of that road, you are looking out at what it must have looked like in the Florida Keys hundreds of years ago. It's, it's remarkable. Um, the old ocean bedrocks of coral with the mangrove growing everywhere along the banks, uh, it's, it's really something to see. Uh, the bottom is is kind of that hard base bottom that uh, like ocean bed. 
Um, it just looks like it's been there forever. And it's really cool that this road that I did not want to go on, that I did not want to take a hike on, dead ends into one of the most beautiful inland things that I've seen in Florida. There were birds everywhere. Um, it was magical. Uh, I'd love to be able to get my kayak back there and look around, but there doesn't seem to be a way in from any direction. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it should be left alone. Um, you know, it's... Uh, and then again, the name is throws you off just a bit, you know, Crocodile Lake. Now, that's probably not a real good idea for a kayaker. But anyway, the crocodiles are supposed to be docile in Florida. Um, okay, sure. But I couldn't help but marvel at the fact that this probably happened because of the building of Ocean Reef Club. Okay, so these folks took the end of the island, turned it into their own little haven, cut off the road, decided to let the water back up on the road area so that it would basically just be a swamp. And lo and behold, it becomes a crocodile lake. And I think that's about as cool as it gets. So congratulations to whoever, whoever's idea it was to do that and whoever's idea it was to cut the road off. And any, anyhow, next time Janelle says she wants to explore something, uh, a new location or something weird she's found out about, I am in. Last and not least, beach story. Okay, this is, I guess this is story number four. Yeah, beach story. This happened in Fort Lauderdale, and it was brought to my mind after all the weird news about the blob of seaweed headed for the shores of South Florida and the Keys. Oh, no. <laughs> there was so much incorrect information in all of those news stories about the blob, as they called it. I just, ugh. Well, you all know me. I'm, I like science. I like marine life. I like the water, the ocean, the gulf, all everything that goes Everglades, everything goes with it. So when people start reporting and they have no idea what they're talking about, drives me crazy. First of all, just the fact that it, okay, it is a seaweed, but it's not. All right. It, it, it's classified as a seaweed, but it's not like your typical seaweed. This is not the green stuff that floats and sticks to you and sticks to your boat and gets caught on all kinds of junk. This is actually a really bizarre blob, if you will, as they like to refer to it. And yes, like I said, it's classified as a seaweed, but it's never attached to the bottom. That's not how sargasm works. And that's what it was. The blob of seaweed is sargasm. Um, its origins from the Sargasso Sea, uh, which is in the, let's see, the uh, that's the far eastern Atlantic Ocean is where it really starts, way, way over, and eventually floats across from Africa in our direction, okay? And it is, it can be massive. It's not unusual, actually, that it be massive. They just like to, they like to put the whole global, you know, uh, warming change and all that, from whatever they call it now, they got a new name for it every time I turn around. It's not, it's not global warming, what is it? Climate change, yeah. So anyway, this stuff happens. <laughs> I don't know what to put. It just happens. And it can be really wild and crazy, or it can be kind of like not too much. But it's been washing up on the East Coast beaches as long as I can remember. As a matter of fact, the beach that we used was Lighthouse, uh, not Lighthouse, it was um, uh, Lauderdale by the Sea. And the Lauderdale by the Sea was a beautiful, pristine, gorgeous beach. And you could dive, snorkel off of it. And um, so they kept the beach really clean. And when the sargasm starts to come in and collect on the beach, they've got these big machines that remove it or bury it, one of the two. And that helps clean the beach off. Um, you have to understand, though, that sargasm is not a bad thing. Uh, because it's floating, it becomes a haven for little critters. 
So these floating clumps or patches, and they create these large rafts and, and weed lines that it's hard to even comprehend how big some of these things can be. Sometimes they stretch for miles across the ocean. Sometimes they don't. But they, the important thing is they are floating habitat that provides food, um, refuge, uh, breeding grounds, for tons of fish and sea turtles and marine birds and crabs and shrimp and everything in the world lives in this stuff. Um, there's one fish, the sargasm fish, uh, it's in the hogfish, no, it's in the frogfish family, that's right. It lives its whole life in this habitat. It doesn't go anywhere else. It just stays in the floating sargasm. That's where it grows up and it lives. The important thing about sargasm for me as a fisherman is it holds a ton of bait and stuff, which means the game fish come around and feed on the edge of it. If you've ever fished the Florida Keys offshore and you've gone out with a quality captain, he's going to troll the sargasm weed lines. You get on the edge of it, you put the trolling lines out, you move down the edge, and wham, mahi-mahi, big jacks, amberjack, oh, all walks of things that are fun to catch. That's where they'll be. Um, that's just the way it is. So the press was painting it as a kind of a, a bad thing when in fact it really wasn't all that bad. It's, it's okay, it's messy. When you get in the water um, and it's in the water with you, it doesn't stick to you. You, you just walk through it. Um, it's hard to explain. When you get out of the water and it, be, it may be clumped along the beach, you get out like it's around your knees. It doesn't stick on you like other seaweed. It's very strange to walk through. I will, I will give it that. So now the beach story. This was summer before last, and the sargasm weed was starting to gather on our beach, Lauderdale by the Sea. And again, this is pretty common, um, and it happens for about a month, month and a half. It's usually in the summer, early summer. You usually see it like May, June, somewhere in that time frame. It's not all that bad, like I said, to walk through. Um, you wouldn't want to swim in it. It's kind of scratchy, weird when you swim in it. So you generally work your way out past the line, the beach line, and then you can go snorkeling. And that's what we did there. We'd love to snorkel in that water. The water along Lauderdale by the Sea is crystal clear. It's beautiful, which is why divers like to go there as well. So Janelle, we were, you know, I'm relaxing in the chair. Janelle grabs her mask and snorkel. She's going to go check out the underwater sites and mostly looking for permit and big snook that swim through there. Occasional tarp and things like that. So barracuda. So she's heading out in the water and she's and I'm kicking back in the chair. I'm enjoying the scenery. I've got my beach chair. I got my beach towel. I got a book to read and I am just, I'm in relaxation mode. And all of a sudden I hear her start yelling toward me. Not, not like she's going to die yelling, but getting my attention. And she's points and says, you know, come here. There's manatees in there. And I'm like, I had never seen a manatee down the beach on the Atlantic before seen them plenty of times in the Gulf of Mexico and around the Florida Keys, but I had not seen them along the beaches out there, but there they were. Not only were there manatees, there were lots of manatees. It turns out that rather than one or two that she saw while she snorkeling, there was a whole string of them about, I'd say somewhere around 14, 15 full-size manatees in there. Um, the reason I'm telling this story is because of how cool it was in the world of sargasm, which the press made out to sound like it's terrible. And I'm here to tell you it's the greatest thing since sliced bread when it comes to fishing and stuff like that. The manatees were eating it. We watched them do it. And this is really, really important because manatees are starving 
in South Florida now. It's there's a real problem with water quality all over Florida, not only here but on the West Coast as well. And the manatees don't have the amount of grass that they've had. Um, you know, we started to save the manatee thing years ago, and and a lot of the protest on save the manatee was okay when they reach a certain number. What are we going to do about feeding them because they eat an absolute ton of grass every day, and it obviously that combined with water quality issues has caused a pretty serious problem with supply and demand in the case of manatees. And so they've, they've pulled some out of the water that have died and they starved. It was, it was termed that they died of starvation and that's a shame. So here they were sargasm all up and down the beaches and the manatees are chowing on it. And it surprised both of us because this is again, not your classic seaweed. Sargasm is um, a clump it's so hard to describe. It's it's it floats because it's got these little nodules of air on it that look like little um, I don't know they're dots of air is basically what they are. That's what keeps it afloat, um, and that's how it manages to do what it does. But obviously, it's got nourishment in it that the manatees found good. And I just wanted to point that out because it made me happy to, to, to remember that when all this news was going on a few weeks ago about the sargasm was going to run over us and it's going to be awful and nobody's going to come to the beaches. Well, of course they will. They always come to the beaches. It doesn't matter what's going on. I mean, Sanibel, Captiva slash Fort Myers Beach just had the worst event ever in a hurricane that virtually destroyed their their beaches and their islands. And guess what? People are doing their damnedest to get there. So they'll, they'll come no matter what. But I wanted to point out the fact that sargasm is not bad. It's actually good. And we're very, very happy to have it. And yes, it's going to be massive this time around, but that happens. Before I sign off, thanks so much for your notes. Really good questions keep coming. Keep it up. <laughs> That's what made me think about doing the stories this time. So, uh, yes, rumor has it I'm working on book number four. It has to be done. Oh, Lord. The other day I thought maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but whatever. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. My podcast is scheduled for each and every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, please tell a friend, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network. It's available on Waypoint and many of your favorite podcast providers. The Facebook page is Catch Outdoors. Website's waypointtv.com and catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy. Enjoy.